Well, if, if you are part of City Life Church, if you have been a part of us for any amount of time, or if you are new to us, I'm sure that you have seen a statement that I'm about ready to give to you because you've probably at least been on our website if you're visiting with us on our website, we call it a dream. In, in, our, in our churchies, right, we call it a vision, but we like this word dream on our website because we, we feel like people that are unfamiliar with church, they understand that word. It means something to them because we have a dream for this region. We, we have a dream for our city. And, and on our website, we have the full-on statement, right? Our dream is that there's not going to be any other place under heaven that's where Jesus is going to be easier to find than the 757. And we've just kind of distilled that down through our local church vernaculars that we want Jesus to be easily found in our city. We want him to be easy to find in our city. I like this idea of our city, too, because of all the people that are here, we, when, when you write your mailing address down, most of us are writing down different cities. We want Jesus to be easy to find where you call home. Churches are easy to find. We get that. Big personalities in, in Christianity are easy to find. We get that. We're not complaining about that. But our question is, is Jesus easy to find? Right? Is Jesus easy to find in the places that we call home. That's our dream. That's the vision that we have. When we get to the end of our lives, when we get to the end of our, when I breathe my last, which right one day we're all going to do, is Jesus easier to find in the places where I've been because of my witness for him? So we have a mission, right? Your mission is for the purpose of seeing your vision or your dream realized. And that for us is to tell the story of the gospel and to live the way of Jesus. All last year, the longest sermon series we've ever done was a series on telling the story of the gospel. This year, this entire year, is dedicated to what it means to live the way of Jesus, and I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that in a few minutes. So we have four core values, because as we give ourselves to this mission for the fulfillment of this dream and this vision, we have some things that we want to define us. We want to define us. One of them is community, our strongest bond. We want to be a group of people that are chasing after this dream. Come on, together. Diversity. You've heard me say this. If, if, the, if the circle that you are closest to, if everybody looks like you, thinks like you, votes like you, acts like you, you need to mix it up a little bit. Right? Diversity, our warmest welcome. Generosity, which I've already talked about, our boldest gift. And then ministry, our best effort. Every single person that calls City Life Church home, God has brought you here both for what you're supposed to experience from the ministry of the church, but can I just tell you, because you're called to contribute to the ministry of this church, there is something inside of you that God has put there that needs to be poured out in the service of others. I'm bringing back an old saying that we've lost along the way. We're reinserting it on this 17th birthday of ours. We, we used to have this saying that I used to use all the time. We're going to make your soul sweat here at the City Life Church. You remember that saying? We're going to make your soul sweat. Heaven is based on what Jesus did on the cross for us. We believe in salvation by grace. That's, that, that's a, we're we're going to be getting to that in this, in, in this series. But can we just agree together that the work of Jesus being formed in us, it takes some effort on our part. It takes some work. We, we have to, there, there's a reason why Jesus uses the metaphor of putting our hand to a plow. It is an instrument of labor. So we're going to make your soul sweat here at the City Life Church. This year, every quarter, 
we're going to be working our way through what it means, what we mean when we say to live the way of Jesus. Now, we're in the series Doxa right now. This is going to be week three, and I'm going to pivot to that in just a moment, but it's the way of Jesus' beliefs. We, we believe that there are seven foundational beliefs of Christianity, and each week we're working through those. It's going to pause tonight. I'm going to pick back up with it in March. If, again, if you've been a part of our church for any amount of time, you know I, I step away from the pulpit in February because at the end of February is our annual business meeting, and because stewardship matters to us here, I take that month and devote it to helping to build and create the annual report and look at giving, and we do a full presentation to you at the business meeting. So I'm going to pick that sermon series back up in March. But tonight, we're going to have our last installment before we take that break. Then the next quarter, we're going to go into praxis, which is the way of Jesus' character. And then after that, we're going to do Shema, which is the way of Jesus' obedience. And after that, rounding out the year, we're going to do Shalom, the way of Jesus' peace. We, we want to be a church where you're familiar with all four of these and what they mean. Because if you're not, then what I'm arguing is that Christ is never going to be fully formed in you. There's a part that we have to play. So tonight, doxa, the seven core beliefs of Christianity, our doxa instructs us where to be just as, as much as they teach us what to know. If, if you're wondering what doxa means, you got to listen to last week. You can go back and get that on our YouTube channel or through our website. I'm not going to reteach that tonight, why we choose that word. It instructs us where to be just as much as they teach us what to know, meaning that every week I'm going to give you a word that represents a place that this belief is supposed to draw us into. We, we don't want to just stop short in the realm of religious intellectualism, which if we're not careful, we can get trapped there, where it's just about knowing. It's not just supposed to be about knowing, it's supposed to be about changing and transformation. You've seen these seven each week, God is one. It invites us into a place of trust. The Bible is true. It invites us into a place of surrender. That's what we've done the last two weeks. We've got the crosses enough. Mankind is helpless. Jesus is life. Eternity is real. The church is central. That's what we're going to be doing tonight. I thought that's going to be a good one. Come on, for our 17th birthday. Each of these beliefs lead me somewhere. And when I wander from that place, I will always feel out of place. That's why the tagline of the series is never again out of place. If you have this lingering feeling of being out of place, it could be because you have wandered away from one of these places that one of these beliefs is supposed to invite you into. If you've wandered out of a place of trust with God, I hope our hearts will always feel out of place. You with me? If we wander out of a place of surrender when it comes to God's Word, I hope our hearts will always feel out of place. And I'm going to give you a third one tonight in relation to the church is central. This idea of being out of place, it's given to us right in the beginning of Scripture in the story of creation. There's going to be a slide that pops up here in Genesis 3, 8 through 9. It says, when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees, then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I introduced this verse to you last week. He's not asking them because he can't find them. He's God. He already knows where they are. He's trying to connect them to this feeling that they're having for the first time of being out of place. God loves us enough to come to us when we're out of place to say, hey, can we talk about where you are right now? Because you're not in the place where you're supposed to be. Somebody say the church is central. Come on, say it like you believe it. 
You're like, I don't know if it is or not. I don't know. Let me tell you what I mean when I say the church is central. It, it, it should be the cornerstone of the rhythm of your life. I believe that with all of my heart. It has been from the moment I made a vow of devotion to Christ, the transformation I've experienced in my life. I, I'm going to put a lot of it. I, I believe that be, our, our children are the place that they're in. Our marriage is in the place that it's in because the church has been the cornerstone of the rhythm of our lives. Christian community. For me, I have no concept of Christianity apart from community. The church does not save me. Jesus does that, right? But Christ will never be fully formed in you on a solo journey on your own. This is the phrase I'm teaching you tonight. The church of Jesus is where the example of Jesus is lived by the people of Jesus' death before resurrection. The church of Jesus is where the example of Jesus is lived by the people of Jesus' death before resurrection. Have we, especially in the American church, promised people a life of the resurrection without first encouraging them, maybe we could say warning, that the resurrection does not come first without dying? Have we given people an outcome, but we've not done a good job of telling them about the process? We love us some Easter Sunday people, or at the City Life Church, some Easter Saturday. The church of Jesus is where the example of Jesus is lived by the people of Jesus, death before resurrection. Jesus did not say to the Father, I'm all about conquering sin and death but I want to do it without first passing through the grave. He, he didn't say to the Father, I'm all about the resurrection and about everything that that's going to accomplish for our, our people. But, but I want to bypass the cross. His example to us is that there is no resurrection without first a dying to self. When, when you think about the disciples. Let's do a little participation. When you think about the disciples in the upper room, right, in the moment where Jesus walks into a room and everything changes, right, when, when, he, when he doesn't need a door and he passes through the wall and they're gathered there, just to, to, we understand Thomas isn't there yet, but the others are there, and then there were other people with him. When he appears to them and they realize that he is alive, that everything that he said was true, that, that everything he promised was going to happen. What are some words that you could say describe what those disciples were probably feeling? You raise your hand and I'll point to you. What are some words that describe what they were feeling? Everybody's like, don't look at the teacher. Shocked, yeah. Relieved, come on. Awe, yes. Peter has more questions. We love Peter and all of his questions. Somebody else? Anybody? What do you think they were feeling? Confused? What else? Holy cow. Yes. Hopeful. Somebody else? Anybody over here? What do you think they might have been feeling? Anybody? Fear. Fear. Yes. Right? All of these emotions are, 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 are going through them about what's just 
taken place. And you know what? All of those feelings, you know what else they begin to give way to? I think they begin to give way to feelings of victory. I think they began to give way to feelings, the, the fear in them, like what on earth, holy cow, right, as Pastor Tom said, is going on here. And then all of a sudden, those feelings began to give way to this sense of, wait, wait a minute, he is alive. He, everything he's called us to that just days before we thought were dead and gone are here and present and real and powerful, right? I think that there was a stirring that began to take place inside of them of being victorious and that they were going to go out and change the world. But they did not get to that place without first crying, without fearing, without doubting, right? We, we love the upper room and then from Acts on, of the courage that the disciples had. But we forget that for them too, in an emotional sense, right, in, in, in a spiritual sense, they spent time in a tomb and that they themselves had to let some things die on a cross. We want to live in the upper room of emotions, but forget we have to pass through a tomb that begins on a cross. As people come into Christianity, as people come into the local church, are we doing a good enough job talking with them about the process that has to happen before the outcome can be held? J Jesus spent a lot of his time talking about this idea of dying to self. It was a central part of his message. L look at these verses. This is in Luke 9, 23. It says, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. He's saying, hey, this is going to be part of your everyday life. He doesn't say, hey, I just want you to know there's going to be this one moment in your life that's going to be bad. But everything else after that is going to be amazing. Right? He doesn't say, hey, there's going to be this moment where, where you're going to have to do something that's going to cost you something. But once you do that one time, you're good to go. No, he says, right, take up your cross daily. Look at Romans 12. You're good. You're staying with me. Romans 12, 1. This is, this is Paul picking up this theme. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Listen to what Paul says. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, dying to self. The kind he will find acceptable. This is the truly way, the truly the way that we worship him. Luke 14, 27 is going to pop up on the screen. This is Jesus circling back just one more time saying, hey, I want you to know what, what, if you're going to be with, if you're going to be one of my people, there's Dying is going to be part of your regular, everyday, ordinary experience. It's not the exception. It's the norm. It's the norm. The church of Jesus is where the example of Jesus is lived by the people of Jesus' death before resurrection. There is a cycle of death and resurrection. I believe that we need to re-embrace as Christians. We, we've got to find our footing with this expectation how many times, listen to this, how many times have people left churches 
because they experienced something akin to a cross in a tomb when they only wanted an upper room. How, how many times, right? We've, many of us have been around church for a long time. How many times have we come into that place of being hurt and disappointed, and that has become our off-ramp of community, right? Why was that? I, I think a lot of times it's because it was not part of what we expected the Christian experience was supposed to be like. I, I think for a lot of us, it's because we've only been fed a diet of Easter, and, and we've forgotten about the experience of Good Friday. We've ex forgotten about the experience for all my liturgical people about Monday, Thursday. You with me? You're like, no, I'm not with you. <laughs> I know, because we don't want a Christianity that invites us into a place of death. We want a Christianity that invites us into a place of resurrection. We cannot have the outcome without first the process. The church of Jesus is where the example of Jesus is lived by the people of Jesus. Death before resurrection. Have we, have I, as a pastor, been over-promising an outcome without disclosing the process? And have we set people up for unexpected experiences that have caused them to get onto an off-ramp of community and find themselves in a place of isolation? Somebody say disappointed with others. If you are looking for a church home, I want to welcome you to the City Life Church, and I want to promise you that we're going to disappoint you. I, I want to promise you that at some point in your very near future, somebody sitting close to you right now is going to disappoint you in a grave way. And you have a decision that you're going to have to make in that moment. Is that your, oh, this is my off-ramp right here, right? Or, or will, will you begin to ask a different question? It, will you begin to ask yourself, God, is this, is this moment of disappointment? And they're real. We're, we're going to look at some of these Bible stories tonight. These are real things that happened in the early church, and they're still happening in our lives today. Why? Because people are still people. W would you be willing to ask a different question when disappointment comes? God, is, is this a cross that I'm supposed to bear, a tomb that I'm supposed to enter, because there's an upper room and a resurrection that's supposed to wait for me. But I cannot have the outcome without the process. Listen to Matthew 20, 20 to 28. I love the story. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom. Right, this is before Jesus has died. In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, because they thought he was going to be a political king. One on your right hand and one on your left. But Jesus answered by saying, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, right? Because they only see the glory. They see the outcome. They don't see the process. And then he says, oh, you will indeed drink from my cup. I'm going to jump down to verse 25. Jesus says, oh, this is going to be such a great teaching moment for my disciples. So he calls them together, and he says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Right? He's saying it has to be different among you. 
Listen to what he says. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And for even the Son of Man cannot, came not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. He's saying, my church, the church of Jesus, is where the example of Jesus is lived by the people of Jesus, death before resurrection. Right? You know what he's saying to those disciples? Hey, these two guys right now that you're angry at because they recruited their mother to ask me to put them in a place of higher glory than you? I have this picture of Simon the Zealot later that night at the campfire sharpening his knife, saying, hey, James and John, there's something I'd like to talk to you about, right? He's just running that piece of sandstone over his blade. Jesus is saying, this moment right here that just happened, you all have to learn how to serve one another, forgive one another, give grace to one another, even when you're disappointed in one another. Even in that moment, something had to die inside of them. There are going to be moments in your future where people are going to surprise you with the things that they do. They're going to surprise you with the choices that they make. They're going to surprise you, even here in this church. And it, cause, Why? Because this church is no different from any other church. We're people. There's going to be moments where we give in to selfish promotion of our own benefit at the expense of others. You're going to have to make a decision in that moment. What are you going to do with that disappointment? What are, what are you going to do with that feeling I don't know about you, but my capacity to be offended, I want to say it's this big. But we all know that it is really the size of a Walmart distribution center. And so is yours. And so is yours. Is it possible that by God's design, He brings us into environments and settings where he knows that we're going to be disappointed by people. He knows it's coming, and he does not warn us. He does not tell us it's coming. And and, and he's, he's sitting back, and he's waiting with a divine pleasure. Not a sadistic pleasure, but a divine pleasure. Because he knows that it's in those moments that we have an opportunity to embrace a cross that takes us into a tomb that brings us to an upper room? Is it possible that disappointment from others, that disappointment, when we experience that disappointment, that slide's going to pop up on the screen. I'm going to have a a little chart for you of sorts for each one of these. That the cross is disappointment, disappointed with others. The tomb is being easily offended. That there's that part of us that's easily offended that we've just got to keep putting into the tomb. And you know how God gets us to put it in the tomb? By keep reminding us that we're easily offendable. Right? So if, if I'm just suggesting, if you've been in a season of being disappointed by a lot of people, may, may, maybe God's trying to deal with your capacity for offense. And he's going to keep circling us back to it. Circling us back to it until that part of us begins to die more than it is alive so that we can be a loving community of people serving one another. That's the upper room, right? That's the victory. That's the resurrection. The resurrection is not other people serving us. The resurrection is not even being in an environment that is a disappointment-free zone. 
The, the, the resurrection is us being able to exist in a loving community with brothers and sisters in Christ, with a spiritual family, serving one another in spite of our shortcomings. The church of Jesus is where the example of Jesus is lived by the people of Jesus, death before resurrection. You're not just going to be disappointed in others. You're going to be disappointed with leaders. These are great problems. Some of you are going to, visiting with us, you're going to show up to church on Monday, I mean, to work on Monday. So how was that church that you visited? It was great. The pastor promised me that I was going to be terribly disappointed with his church. Um, Galatians 2, 11 through 13, you're going to be disappointed in leaders. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him. This is Paul writing. I had to oppose him to his face, for he did, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers. That's everybody who's not Jewish. We talked about that in the earlier sermon series, who were not circumcised. But afterward, when friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. This is a lot of ancient language that's reminding us that racism was alive and well in the early church. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Don't you love that? We love the Bible. You realize the Bible is a public expose of other people's sins, right? right? These are letters that are being written. The names have not been changed to protect the innocent. They've been added. I was talking to somebody upstairs before I was walking down here, overheard two of our young adults arguing about whether or not peppermint patties were actually a candy. And I told him, I said, I'm not going to share your names, but we believe in diversity here at this church. We're not going to shame people's candy preferences here. I'm not going to tell you that Eve doesn't like peppermint patties. I would never say his name publicly from the pulpit, ever, ever. I would never break that promise to him. Oh. Now, the Bible, you, the Bible uses names. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, even Barnabas. These are heavy hitters. These are, these are the, the Bible heroes. Right? These are the people that we say, I want to one day be like them. Right? They were leaders, and they disappointed people. You're going to be disappointed here. There will be times when leaders make mistakes. There's going to be times where our humanity gets the better of us. Is that going to be your off-ramp? From community? Or, or, is it, or is it going to cause you to ask a question? Is there something that this disappointment is going to give to me as a gift because there's something in me that needs to die so that the upper room of emotions of victory and overcoming can be had? Now, are there times where we have to move on from churches? Yes. Are there times when there is, there is spiritual abuse? Yes, right? I'm not Pollyanna tonight, right? I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not giving you this, this, this rose-colored glasses that, that every church is okay. I, I get it. I understand it, right? That's a, another conversation for another time. But what we must not do, people, what we must not do, we must not conflate and confuse the moments of disappointment that's supposed to be a cross that we're supposed to bear and call it spiritual abuse to justify the off-ramp that we're never supposed to take. We, we've got to differentiate between the two. We've got to differentiate between the two. 
You're going to be disappointed with leaders. Is it possible? Look at, look at this. Is it, is it possible that when you're disappointed with leaders, that, that what needs to go in the tomb is this idea of, of leader worship? Right? Do we have a problem in, in the Christian church in America? I think we do. Right? Of putting people on a pedestal where they do not belong. Right? Do we follow personalities? We are not a personality-driven church here at the City Life Church. Right? That, is it possible that there can be a culture that can get created where our faith is in the leader more than it's in Jesus? Because that's not a good place to be. And is it possible that those disappointments that happen and God exposes you to it is because something inside of you needs to get into a tomb? Because the upper room, at least what we're striving for here at the City Life Church, is a loving community of people that are leading one another. Leading one another. Does does my role as a pastor, is it supposed to carry some weight? I, I think it is. But will there be times that I need you to lead me? You better believe it. You better believe it. We, we, are, are there people that we're supposed to be following? Sure, that's a biblical model. We're, we're going to get that into praxis where, where, where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? We believe in that principle, Paul and Barnabas and Timothy, that there should be people farther along than us, that we're following after them. And then the Barnabas is the peer that we're walking with, and the Timothy is the person that we're a little bit farther along than they are, and we're helping to bring them along. Is that healthy? Sure it is. Is, is, is there a healthy biblical authority? Sure it is. But sometimes that authority is supposed to be a two-way street. And a healthy culture is that even people that are leading us, sometimes God's going to use us to push back. You need to understand, when Paul and Peter had this encounter, Peter was the person that was leading Paul in the history of the church. Peter was the man. He was the man. We think of of Paul as the man, but that's because we got 2,000 years of history. But back then, in the, in, in the greater scheme of things, Peter was the person, and, and, and Paul had to push back. We want to be a loving community of people where we are leading one another. And when we're disappointed in leaders, when we're disappointed in people that are a little farther ahead, maybe that's a healthy disappointment for us. Because there's something about elevating a person beyond putting them on the pedestal where they do not belong, and that needs to get inside of a tomb. The last one is this. If you stick around church for any amount of time, you're going to find yourself disappointed with God. You're like, Fred, this is such an uplifting message on our 17th birthday. I'm just telling you, I've raised three kids with Vanessa, teenagers. They need to be told the truth. All right. we're, we're just 17. We're just 17. Mark 6, 47 to 49. I love this story. If you, if you read the Bible too fast, you're going to miss stuff. You with me? Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. This, this happened after the feeding of the 5,000. This is where, where Jesus says to them, hey, you guys get in the boat. I'm going to go. I'm going to spend some alone time with my father. He's been praying all night. The disciples are on the lake, right? These are fishermen. These are pe- Many of them have lived their whole entire life on the Sea of Galilee. So when they are afraid for their life, we know that it's trouble. Late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, 
rowing hard, struggling against the wind and the waves, about 3 o'clock in the morning. So they have been rowing in this storm for many, many hours. Listen to what it says. Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them. Stop it already. He saw them. Can, Can we just agree? When he put them in the boat, he knew what he was sending them into. When he put them in the boat, he knew he was sending them into the storm. And then he's been watching from a distance, not for five minutes, for many hours, for many hours. And then as he's walking on the water, it says that he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. Now, this does not fit anywhere neatly in my theology, right? Are you, it's one of, I hope you got a list of questions when we get to heaven that we want to ask some people. Do, don't you want to ask Jesus, Jesus, could you just, would you have really walked past them on that night? Did you really? Right? The question I have is, is when the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to tell the story, was he accurately describing what you intended to do, or was he describing what it felt like to the disciples when they saw you? You with me? Either way. For those that were in the boat, it looked as though that the one that they knew could only save them was about ready to leave them behind. You and I are going to find ourselves at times in this life where it feels like God is not doing a good enough job. There there will be times in our lives where it feels as though he's passing us by. That there will be times in our, in our lives where it feels as though he's being more faithful to someone else than me. That there will be times in our, in, in our lives where it feels as though that our situation will finally be the one circumstance and situation since creation that has found its way past his sovereignty. There, there will be times in our lives when we are on our knees crying out in desperation to him and and we're just not sure if he will climb back into the boat with us and say, peace be still. I think throughout our lives there's moments where God brings us into a place of disappointment because he knows that there's a cross that we need to bear. Because there's a part of us that needs to get into a tomb and that's what I'm going to call being in control. Anybody else have control issues other than me? Uh, Yeah. Look at the person next to you and say, you should have raised your hand quicker. Right? We have have control issues. And it's part of our human experience. It's part of our humanity. It's part of what we struggle with. And I believe that God brings us into situations and circumstances that are beyond our control on purpose because he wants us to wrestle with the doubts that we have in him because there's something that needs to die inside of us. If if we are not careful as we're traveling along this road and we experience disappointment with God, it becomes an off-ramp that we were never supposed to take. Because the upper room is waiting for us, a loving community of people encouraging one another. If you're in a place where you're disappointed by God, you're in the right place. 
Because everybody else in this room that's been a part of God's family for any amount of time, we have our own stories of having felt like God disappointed us. And part of being in community with each other is sharing those stories. Times where I have doubted, times where I felt like Jesus was going to pass me by. There's people that are in this room right now that have been an encouragement to my heart. And I hope that there's been times where I've been an encouragement to you. We were created by God for many things, but one of them most certainly was to be together in his church because the church of Jesus is where the example of Jesus is lived by the people of Jesus. Death before resurrection. Somebody say, woohoo! Thank you. Thank you. Invite the worship team to make their way back up. One of the traditions here at City Life is that on Mother's Day, the, 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 the dudes work in the nursery exclusively. We're like, we don't want no ladies back there. Well, maybe except for one to make sure we all know what we're doing. So usually there's one lady back there. But never a mom, right? A young adult or a teenager. And so, and, and, and so this is a long, we've been doing this maybe for all 17 years, right? It's been a, it's been a longstanding, longstanding tradition. This past Mother's Day, I kid you not, I'm, I'm, I'm in there in the nursery, and I, Scotty's in there with me, Scotty Moriarty, I, I don't remember who else was in there, and, uh, and, and I'm looking around the room, we're making sure all the kids are okay, and I look down and there was a big pile of poop right on the floor. I was like, that's not normal, right? At least I think it's not supposed to be. And I'm thinking to myself, so, but you know, the next thing that I did was to look around. Is there any child in this room that doesn't have pants on right now? And I'm looking around the room. I'm like, how did a kid with their clothes on poop on the floor? So, yeah, I'm like, I guess I'm, I'm saying, hey. And, of course, I'm waiting for one of the other dads to just step in, clean that up. I'm the pastor, right? And they're looking at me like, you're the leader. You should do something. So I've decided we're, the motto of this church used to be, your family from the first hello. Our new motto is watch your step. That's our new motto as a church. Watch your step. Because there's poop on the floor here. Because we're people. Because we make mistakes. Because disappointment is part of the journey. Because those disappointments bring us to a cross that takes us into a tomb so that we can know the victory of the upper room. There is a dying to self that we need to re-embrace as Christians in America. There's a dying to self that we need to embrace. It is part of what Jesus said it would be like. And it's time for us to stop running from that because there is no resurrection without first death. It's his example for us to follow. Stand with me. Father, I pray that as we step into this place of worship, I pray for people right now who they themselves, even in this moment, whether they're watching from online or whether they're in this room, wherever they might be around the world, that if, if their heart right now is gripped by disappointment, 
and they've got their hands on the wheel of their life, and they're about ready to use it as an off-ramp for community, I pray that you would cause them to just pump the brakes and to ask a question. Is this disappointment by your design? Did you lead me into this place of disappointment because of your sovereignty, because of providence? Is, 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 is this is this part, God, of what you're doing in me? Is this reminding me that the church of Jesus is where the example of Jesus is lived by the people of Jesus' death before resurrection? Help us, O oh God, to be a people that are not afraid to take up our cross daily and follow you. Let's worship together.